Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, Ed Gafu of Kent! With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello! Hello! And welcome to Rex Factor, where we are reviewing all the Queen and Prince consorts of England, from Elswith to Prince Philip. And as you just heard, today we are doing Edgifu, or Edgiva, as she is sometimes written, of Kent. Yeah, why why Edgiva? The the Victorians, I think, particularly, um, sometimes reinterpret how some of the Saxon names are written. So, Ethelfled, Lady of the Mercians, you'll sometimes see written as Ethelfleda. They thought it looked a bit more feminine. Mm, right. Okay. I'm going to go with Edgar Fu. It's more distinct from than the other ones that we've had. Exactly. Mm. Um, if you want to let us know how you'd pronounce her name, <laughs> then you can get in touch with us on social media at Rex Factor Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Like the Facebook page. Email rexfactorpodcast.hotmail.com. If you really like what you're hearing, donate monthly. Join the, the Privy Council and you'll get access to bonus content and you help us keep on podcasting. Keep us ad-free. That's my best advert voice, that, which is ironic, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) So, Edgar Mm. Fu. She was born probably sometime between 899 and 903. Right. We're not sure exactly. So she's probably about 20 years old when she becomes consort to Edward the Elder. She's the daughter of a chap called Sigilhelm, the Elderman of Kent, Mm -hmm. and someone else. Right. That is the old chestnut that the oh. someone else mother was not considered significant enough mm. to even write her name, let alone <laughs> her birth date. Right. And her name, Edgar Fu, means wealthy gift. Oh. Oh, wealthy. Why? Why wealthy gift? That's odd. Or just rich gift, big mm. gift. Good gift. Good gift. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. At least there's no elves in it this time. No elves this time. She's not part of the elf dynasty, as somebody on Facebook, I think, mentioned. Now, unfortunately, we don't have any contemporary portraits of Edgar Fu, nor do we have a Heritage Limited playing card. No. So what we are asking you to do is to send in your hashtag consort cards, do your own version of a Heritage playing card image episode for Edgar Fu, and indeed for all the uh, mm. episodes we do in the series. We've had quite a few sent in for the first few episodes we've done, and uh, there's some of them really, really good. Some of them are fantastic, and I feel a bit bad not um, posting every single one. So I'm wondering what we should do, where we should put these. Instagram is the picture place, really. I, st- I just don't know how to work that. It took me four days to work out how where all my messages were. <laughs> I'm not natural at it. So, a bit of backgroundy stuff for Edgar Fu, the mm. context in which she is consort. England was not yet established as a country. Uh, we have a series of smaller kingdoms, though Wessex, initially under Alfred the Great and then Edward the Elder, becomes the main and the dominant one that is seeking to expand over the entire yeah. version of what we would now call England. Now, as you said in the title, Edgar Fu is from Kent. Mm. And Kent was one of the original Anglo-Saxon kingdoms. It was a major player in the 6th century... Uh, particularly where you have a King Ethelbert, who was a Bretwalder, which is effectively the top king of all the kings. Mm. Um, and he also is the one who introduces Christianity okay. for the first time to England. So mm. initially Kent's quite a big deal, but later it ends up being subsumed first into Mercia and then into Wessex. Uh, so it swapped hands, so it's not powerful enough. To no longer an independent kingdom, but probably still has an independent identity. Right. Going okay. on. It almost falls into Viking hands in the 890s in the wars of uh, Heisten, but thankfully Alfred 
and Edward are able to defeat him, and thus mm-hmm. Kent remains part of the Wessex kingdom. Mm. Now, after the death of Alfred the Great in 899, Edward the Elder faced opposition from his cousin Ethelwald mm. as to who would ultimately become the king of the Saxons, and Ethelwald was backed by Vikings, so he was quite a major threat yeah. to Edward. However, at the Battle of the Holm, which probably in Cambridgeshire, Edward wasn't actually present. He retreated, but the men of Kent decided to stay and fight Ethelwald and the Vikings. God, silly. They lost the battle. Yeah, bet. But Ethelwald was killed. Oh, good. So thus, although the Saxons were defeated, Edward's main rival, Ethelwald, died, and thus Edward was oh, then secure to be king for the rest of his reign. Mm. After this, he went on continuing his father's work, fighting back against the Vikings, and by 918-919, everywhere south of Northumbria, or York, was basically under his rule. Mm. And that's thanks to, what's her name as well? Thanks to Edward, and thanks to his sister, Ethelfled, Lady of the Mercians. You know, that's so unfortunate. She was our last episode. We were banging One before on... last. Oh, was she? Yeah. Oh. But I feel like in that episode, we were saying she doesn't get nearly enough recognition, and I still can't remember her name. Yeah. What is it? Ethelfled. I mean, that was ten seconds. I know. Ethel Bled. Yeah, so Edward's now in a very dominant position. Now, meanwhile, Edgarfu, unfortunately, has had to grow up without a father. Because as you mentioned, Sigelhelm was the earldom of Kent. Mm. So he was probably leading the Kentish army in the Battle of the Hull. Oh. And indeed, he is killed in the battle. Oh. Can, uh, any record of whether it was him that took down? Sadly, no. Oh. Sadly, no specifics. Um, but as a result, she doesn't have her father, so she is entrusted to a powerful thane and relative. Mm. Um, but is also probably her father's heiress, because he doesn't have any sons. Uh-huh. Which means she has got land and yeah. money. Yeah, yeah. So thus, in the year 919, Edward, having been married to Elfled, who we did last time, and having produced numerous children with her, repudiated her after 20 years of marriage, yeah. and instead decides to marry Edgarfu. This is all coming together now, yeah. And so this is the second wife. So this is, well, it's his third wife, but his second consort, because the first wife was before he became king. And died? Yes, we assume so, we don't really okay. know. We recall that Edward was one of those serial monogamists, because it's very easy <laughs> yeah. for the Saxons to drop yeah. their wives okay. and take new ones. It's like they could just say Beetlejuice three times and then that's <laughs> it, divorced. So Edward marries Edgarfu 25 years his junior. Wow. Scandal bell. Oh, we're down to the scandal bell. I just oh, said I it. didn't bring the scandal oh. bell. Uh, ding, ding. <laughs> so how old is he? How old is she, rather? So she's about 20. So yeah. he's sort of his mid-40s. I mean, he's thinking jackpot. Mm. And everyone else is saying totally legal. Dynastically, he doesn't really need the marriage because he's already got children by his two previous marriages. Oh, he's just cooking up trouble then. Well, what he is interested in is perhaps the fact that as the heiress of Sigelhelm, she's got lots and lots of lovely land in Kent, mm-hmm. and he's going to take all of that. Uh, he may also have been hoping to repair any damage that he'd done to relations with the men of Kent, given that he decided not to show up to the battle, and they did. Mm. And they took heavy casualties, lost their elderman, but killed off the man that Did he him was, a favour. Yeah. yeah. So if there were some lingering mm. resentment there, marrying the daughter of the elderman mm. brings the Kents right back into the centre of things. That's clever. But, I mean, if she has a boy, uh-oh, who's more? Well, it's fine for Edward. More sons, more the merrier. But He'll be dead. If I were the... Actually, yeah, tw- the, the other sons would be so much older, it won't be a problem, would it? Mm, exactly. Um, another aspect might be that he was facing a new threat in York from the arrival of some Norse Vikings. 
Right. Ah. So possibly he thinks, right, well, I need to go and campaign in the north for quite a long time. Mm. Kent's not very happy about that whole battle where all their men got killed business. So maybe marry Edgar Fu, Kent like me, I don't have to worry about my own backyard, mm. and I can go campaign in the north. That makes sense. It does make plenty of sense. Uh, so off he goes and does indeed do lots and lots of campaigning in the north. What Edgar Fu did as consort, we don't really know. What? Produces various children with Edward and enough that they must have been together a decent amount to have <laughs> produced the number that they produced yeah. in the time in which they produced them. Or just four times they met. Or <laughs> well, exactly, or Edward just pops back yeah. for a couple of weeks shore leave and then heads back to the front line. Oh, she didn't go with him? Oh, we don't know. We don't know. We yeah. don't know. Um, as with previous Wessex consorts, there's no evidence of her having a significant political role or an enhanced status, and technically no reason to believe that she was ever crowned or anointed as queen. So we just took her on, really? And it just takes her on. But as you've seen with Elswith and with Elfled, they do have this hang-up in Wessex about crowning yeah. queens. Mm. And Edgar Fu is another example of that. Um, as I said, they do produce some children together, but they don't get terribly long because on the 17th of July, 924, five years later, Edward dies at the age of about 50 just after quelling a rebellion in Chester. But that's not the end of the story for a queen is it and who was it that did really well as a queen mother was that um edgar not edgar Fu, um, uh well we had elswith it's not that she did amazingly this is alfred's consort edward's mother it's not that she did amazingly it's just that she was never even mentioned as consort in any oh record, that's right as queen mother she mm. did get to be mentioned right yeah okay so we saw with elfled last time that when there's a battle for the succession and an opportunity to be the Queen Mother, it does represent an opportunity mm. for the consorts to have more power. Mm. And indeed, for Edgapu, it's an opportunity ah. because she does have sons by Edward. Mm. But as you said, we've got trouble because he's got three wives, all of whom have produced children, and there's going to be a battle for the succession. They just don't get it because they have no fixed system for the succession mm. it's not strict primogeniture so any legitimate son or an etheling can claim the throne and as you've seen the ease with which you can take on new wives drop the old ones means that you're going to have quite a few etherlings kicking about oh, it's just just trouble just, I, I can't i can't understand how he couldn't have seen that it was a problem maybe the threat of uh the danes was such that when you think how dangerous and he's spending basically his entire life fighting because mm. you remember Alfred was a fifth son and became king because of all of his mm. brothers died so mm, true true yeah so he has five by these three different women wow. Athelstan by Edwin Elfweard and Edwin by Elfled and then under Edgarfu he has Edmund and Edred oh hang on I recognise those names heard of them haven't we yeah now, Athelstan is the eldest son, but he ends up being brought up at his aunt's court in Mercia with Ethelfled. Yeah. So Elfweard, the oldest son by Elfled, seems to be the one who is favoured in Wessex. So when Edward dies, Athelstan is acclaimed king by the Mercians, but Elfweard is declared king by the men of Wessex. Oh, it's such a waste of time. They've got to be fighting the, the Norsemen, not each other. Well, thankfully, Elfweard dies just 16 days after his father. Oh, uh, right. So there's still a threat from the next brother, Edwin. Yeah. But nevertheless, Athelstan does manage to become king. Because presumably he's then a bit older still than this other one. And exactly. Edwin probably will be an adult, but he's presumably not 
as established yeah. as his older right. brother was, and certainly not as Athelstan. Mm. Now, Edgarfu is also in the mix, of course, but her sons are very young. The oldest, Edmund, is only about three years old mm. at this point. Mm. So realistically, he's not going to pose too no. much of a threat to Athelstan. However, mm. she is the incumbent consort. Yeah. And she's presumably got various allies at court, so she's still someone of influence, and long-term, her sons could pose a dynastic threat. And the other queens are still... Well, the uh, one Elfled other queen. is certainly yeah. seems to be scheming against Athelstan. So what seems to happen... We don't have direct evidence, but what seems to happen is that a deal is made between Athelstan and Edgarfu. Namely, that she will support his claim as king now, in return for which he will acknowledge Edmund as his heir. But what if Athelstan has kids? Well, he doesn't have kids. He doesn't marry. Oh, because he can see all the trouble it causes. Sees the trouble. I mean, we don't know whether he, we knew whether he could have been homosexual or because if he couldn't have children. Maybe yeah. we knew that already because he is an adult. He would have had opportunity to produce offspring. Yeah. But nevertheless, perhaps he thinks, well, okay, this is the price I'm willing to pay. I will be king, but I won't produce any heirs. Mm. And indeed, if there is a pact, he's true to his word. He never marries. Edmund is clearly marked as his successor. So when Athelstan dies in 939, after a very successful reign in which he does effectively establish England as we know it today, mm. Edmund becomes king with no opposition whatsoever. Well, that, is, uh, that is another reason why Athelstan deserved that Rex factor. Indeed, but it is perhaps because of negotiating by Edmund yeah. that all of this is, does come to pass. Ooh, that is good. Brilliant. Well done, her. So in 939, her son Edmund becomes king, and under her sons, she does achieve great prominence. We said last time how Elfled, we could see how she nearly became powerful mm. and influential. Well, with Edgarfu, we'd see that potential realised. She is recognised as Mater Regis, mother of the king, and is a very influential figure. She witnesses numerous charters mm. and is also placed prominently on the witness lists. Now, recall, Elswith didn't witness a single charter under Alfred, mm. and she only witnessed one under her son, Edward the Elder, and indeed, Edward's first consort, Elfled, only witnessed that yeah, one, one charter, whereas Edgarfu is witnessing loads as Queen Mother. Is this a rise in uh, the prominence of the position, because she's recognised as the mother of the king, or because she had so much to do with getting the fellow in power that it's... We assume there must be a combination of the two. Mm. As Queen Mother, she's got more influence over her sons than she would have done over her husband, mm. particularly as a younger bride. But equally, she's done quite a lot of work mm. to get them there, so perhaps she is of personal note, mm. not just the mother. But then to those Wessex people, they'll be saying, this is exactly what we said. Well, yes, but of course, now the Wessex people are her sons. Ah, They are more positively minded. So she's witnessing charters, she's got lots and lots of lands, she's a very powerful and influential figure. Now, her sons, Edmund and Edred, both kept busy with threats from the Vikings in Northumbria. First up, the Norse Vikings, still kicking around, and mm -hmm. then Eric the Bloodaxe. Yeah, quality. Uh, but Edgarfu is able to influence some more domestic affairs, and in particular, she makes the cause for religious reform. Oh, brilliant. Come on, hit me with it. So this is known as monastic reform, and there's a belief that religious observance had grown lax 
in the last century or so. So the reformers call for stricter and more uniform observance of religious matters. Mm. So Edgar Fu is a notable early patron. She acquires lots of land for new religious foundations. Indeed, she provides some of her own land for right. it. And she also patronises new reformist figures in the church. Um, Ethelwald, not the cousin of Edward, but a different chap with the same name. Mm. And, of course, Dunstan. Dunstan's back again (laughs) Dunstan's back again (laughs) Here comes the fun spun It's Dunstan Oh that's fantastic (laughs) Oh excellent work Dunstan's back everybody That is the only that is the only good thing that's ever come of that man. I swear to to Dunstan. Ah, right. Okay, so she loses points. So she she introduces this fella. She doesn't. I mean, he's been at court before. We'll t- talk about him in more detail a bit later oh, I in hope the episode, so. of course. But for any new listeners uh, who are a bit confused about this, um, he becomes a very prominent reformer, a major figure, uh, and influence across various reigns. And he slightly got on your nerves a bit as the first series went on. Yeah. Well, he's back again. I mean, this he is, is this is again. why he just never disappears, and all he does is bring the party down. And I can even see the little uh, Dunstan oh, yeah. figurine that I he's got for back. you on Dunstan's day. Yeah. He's in the room. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to take him out and um, play with him, <laughs> but um, but he's got very small parts. Yes, he's still yeah. a bit young for uh, children yeah. and alleys yeah, to play yeah, with. I might. I'm like, it's choke. I'm, I'm, I'm a choking hazard. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the importance of this is that Edgar Fu, as he said, one of the main advisors for her son, a patron of many um, religious foundations, but also these major church leaders. And one thing you can say is that you're aware of how influential and long-lasting Dunstan is. Yeah, that's true. So you've got to say that the woman who is able to bring this sort of person to court, clearly mm. herself, must be someone mm. of influence and standing. Mm. Unfortunately, though, she doesn't get an awfully long time to enjoy her position as Queen Mother. But not perhaps for the reasons that you'd think. Death? Death, but not her death. Oh. Edmund was stabbed by a notorious thief in 946, aged only 25. Yeah. Then his brother Edred became king. He was continually suffering from poor health so he's the one if we recall that used to suck juice out of the meat and then spit it back out once he'd finished absolutely appalling he died in 955 age 32 so the throne then passes to the next generation the two sons of Edmund Edwig who's about 15 years old and Edgar who's 12 oh I remember because Dunstan was in all of those episodes oh yes but somebody who hasn't died well, Dunstan, obviously, <laughs> never dies. Edgar Fu is still around. Yeah. She has survived both of her sons. And thus, she becomes Queen Grandmother. Oh, we haven't had one of these yet. Well, no, so Rex Facts, it's the first Queen Grandmother, and it's the first of only two in the entirety of English history. The other being the Queen Mother? No. What? Because she was never the Queen Grandmother. Oh, to the Queen. Yeah, because she was only of a mother of... The Queen. The Queen. But it is almost exactly 1,000 years until it happens again. Don't tell me. Um, No, I don't know. You were very close. It was the Queen Mary, wife of George V, grandmother to Elizabeth II. Oh. 
Didn't oh. survive for very long, but she survived uh, George the Sixth, right? And Edward the Eighth, of course, had abdicated. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, how long did she? How long? When did she die? Uh, well, so not that long after Elizabeth was crowned, I think. Oh, that's a shame. But still, mm. Rex fact. And unfortunately for her, this also marks a reversal in fortune because Edwig turns against the old leaders at court. Dunstan is exiled to Ghent after dragging Edwig away from uh, Quite right. at his yeah. coronation banquet. And Edgar Fu is deprived of all her lands. Oh. So he actually also acts against his grandmother. Why? Well, it's it's not entirely clear why this happens. Perhaps Edward is just seeking to assert his own power and promote his younger allies. He's a young man. He wants to make his own way in the world yeah. rather than all these old people at court that have been around forever. Um, another alternative is that all of the people at court who are influential, these monastic reformers, mm. perhaps they try to have Edgar recognised as king instead of Edwig. Because as he said, there's no fixed rule. There's no reason why the younger brother couldn't mm. be king. He was fostered with a powerful elderman called Athelstan Half-King. Mm. And he was tutored by Ethelwald, who of course was one of the figures that um, Edgar Fu had brought to prominence. Right. So perhaps he associated them with... So it's a purge. His brother, yeah, it's a bit of a purge, yeah. So Mercia and Northumbria end up recognising Edgar as king. Mm. So we have a bit of a split in the kingdom. Well, and the Vikings are still kicking around? No, they're kind of okay. dealt with now, really. Um, Edwig gradually loses support and he suffers the indignity of his marriage being annulled against his will. Against his will? Against his will, yes. The church do it to him rather oh, than for him. Was this this man again? Well, Dunstan is in exile, but one assumes that yeah, he's pulling yeah, the of course scenes. He's pulling the strings. We'll talk about that more when we get to uh, <laughs> that queen. And then in 959, only about 19 years old, Edwig dies. So, but And she's still alive. And she is still alive. So Edgar becomes king. This is Edgar the Peaceable, as he will become known. Yeah. Recalls Dunstan from exile. Excellent. And restores Edgar Fu's lands. I'm now remembering why I didn't give him the Rex Factor. Because <laughs> Dunstan. I'm, I'm rustling up a, a bee's nest here. Wasp nest, bee's nest, stick. Stick clear of both of them, really. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I'm beginning to back myself again. Edgar Fu has got all of her lands back. Yeah. Everything's lovely. Brilliant. She is now rarely at court from this point on. She doesn't seem to recover political influence under Edgar, but equally she is now into her 60s, mm. quite old, maybe not too surprising that perhaps she retires, focuses on her lands, her estates, mm. and you know her religious interests. Her last appearance is in 966, when she attends this grand ceremonial occasion with the refoundation of Newminster, in Winchester, which seems to be this grand dynastic gathering right. of all the great and the good of the royal family. And she probably dies soon after that, aged something like 66, something like Impressive. 60s. Mm -hmm. A long and very successful period as consort, queen mother and queen grandmother. Wow. I now see why you had to do that, uh, the complicated scoring for... Longevity. Women. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that is her life and uh, various consortships. Let's see how she does when we review her. Battleliness! So we don't have any involvement in military affairs for Edgar Fu. Mm. But we do have plenty of evidence of her sticking up for herself and showing independence and having influence and power. Mm. And one of the main ones for this is in the succession politics. Oh, definitely, yeah. 
So as he said, there's no, it's not mentioned in, in many sources under Athelstan, so there was an assumption that she was completely sidelined and had no role or influence. But yeah. what we're learning is that we need to be looking between the lines yeah, to see this sort of hidden history of a lot of these women. Because even if she, she, even if she did have a lot of influence, I imagine they wouldn't recall that anyway. Exactly, because she's not of Athelstan's party. Yeah, record rather. And it is unclear exactly how Athelstan did secure his support in Wessex. Mm. Because although Elthwiar dies after 16 days, mm. it wasn't until a year later that Athelstan was actually crowned king in Wessex. So Why that does that? imply that there is negotiation and stuff going on. It's not just, oh, well, now that Elfweald's died, I guess it's got to be Athelstan. Right. There's more politi- politicking going on behind yeah. the scenes. Yeah, yeah. Now, the fact that he never marries and never has any children is pretty unusual. It's a bit scandalous, I'd say. So one does assume he must have come to some kind of deal. And Edmund being only three years old, it's pretty unlikely it's going to be directly with his brother mm. Edgar Fu is the only really logical person that would have been having those conversations if it isn't scandalous that just adds more weight to the fact that it's Edgar Fu's power mm-hmm. because he will say okay tell you what to become king I won't even you know have kids because he's got the threat from he's got two stepmothers Mm. but vying against him. Mm. The first one, um, although Elfweald was declared king initially, and then we recall that the second one, Edwin, was involved in a plot to blind Athelstan. Oh, good old so it is a threat, yeah. and it's enough to be taking on one of his stepmothers. He doesn't want to take on both of them. No. So Eldgafoon comes in and says, look, I'll back you. I've got my own group of supporters, presumably as well she's got supporting Kent, mm, which is a definitely. slightly different faction to Wessex, where... Mm. Maybe Elfled is a little bit stronger. And her children, of course, are that much younger. So it's not like they're going to be knocking on his door in six months' time. Yeah. He's going to have a decent period to reign. Yeah. And he's got a chance to effectively raise them as if they are his sons. And th- remove the threat. And remove the threat. Yeah. And there is some evidence, uh, interestingly, from Europe, which seems to lend some cu- uh, some credibility to Edgar Fu's role in all of this. Uh, In Cologne in 929, the German ambassador related that Athelstan was effectively a caretaker king, bringing up his younger half-brothers so that they would be able to rule. There's also a chap called Petrus, who was a clerk in Athelstan's entourage. He wrote a poem celebrating Athelstan's uh, exploits, and he references a queen and a prince at Athelstan's court. Mm. Now, as we said, he never marries or has children, so we assume that the prince is Edmund. Mm. But perhaps... The Queen could be Edgar Fu. It has to be, doesn't it? But who are, who are the other contenders? Well, exactly. I mean, there are. he has sisters, but ultimately by about 9.30 they all get married off to mm. foreign lands, so they wouldn't mm. be there, but she is the most prominent woman yeah. around without him marrying. Other evidence, the Gandersheim uh, Gospels, um, is managed to get written and illustrated at Metz in about 860, but it was sent to Germany as a gift with a woman called Edgith, who is Athelstan's half-sister. She marries Otto, the future Holy Roman Emperor. Oh, yeah. So she brings this Gandersheim gospel with her, and the inscription on it gives pride of place to Edgifu Regina. Wow. And followed by Athelstan. Wow. Now, perhaps they were a bit confused about... How it worked. How it worked (laughs) and who was doing what when. But equally... 
As you said, it's unusual for a king to be a bachelor at this time. The consort may not play a political role, but presumably in ceremonial affairs mm. and the royal household, mm. it is a notable role. So that's quite an ab- absence. But so maybe then Edgafu is almost performing some of the roles of a consort for Athelstan. She's not married to him. And she's not doing anything political like witnessing charters, but she's bringing up her sons and his heirs, ultimately. Makes sense, She it? might be doing some of the mm. things at the feasts and the banquets and stuff. Mm. He's got someone who was a queen who's respected. I, I mean, you can see how these negotiations went. Mm. Brilliant. Now, she's not a woman to be Hang crossed. On. Oh, I see. Edgar Fu. Right. Um, she's almost a bit of a proto-Bess of Hardwick because you've got all of these lands mm. and then she keeps having these legal disputes where people try to take them off her, but she's not having any of it. Right. Um, so as she said, her father died when she was very young and he left her some lands in Kent. But there's one um, place calling in Kent, which was apparently given to a man called Goda as security for a loan. Now, in 908, Edgar Fu, or her guardian, claimed her father had repaid the loan, but Goda claimed not. So apparently Edward, before marrying her, was persuaded to intervene and returned the estates to Edgar Fu. Oh, right. Yeah, back his wife in it. Yeah. Mm. Now, there's some suggestion that under Athelstan, the land was required to be returned to Goda. Mm. Suggests perhaps the relationship wasn't quite as close as or might assume, but it was certainly back with her under Edmund, but then, when Edmund and Edred died and Edwig became king, oh, no. he took away all of that royal land yeah. from her. But he also decides that when the sons of Goda launch an appeal and say, hey, this is our land, yeah. he says, yep, yeah, I think it probably is. Huh. And gives it back to the sons of Goda. So then when it comes back again, presumably at the end? Well, yes. Yeah, so obviously she shows her metal as part of that old power block through her weight behind Edgar... So mm. her own grandson mm. tried to mess with her, and it's a bit of a mistake. <laughs> Edgar then becomes king, and Cooling and all her other estates are restored to her. And she is an incredibly wealthy and powerful woman. She inherited uh, inherited substantial territories from her father, uh, Farley, Osterland, and Cooling in Kent. She's granted half of Thanet by Edmund. Mm. Um, all of the Kentish booklands, which is property held by Charter, i.e. royal right. lands by Edred, along with others, places like Amesbury, Wantage, the Booklands in Sussex and Surrey. It's impossible to put a figure on it, but she's almost certainly the wealthiest woman in the country. Goodness me, yeah, I bet. And as Queen Mother, she regularly witnessed charters, which is, say, these grants of lands and things made by the king, but it's witnessed by everybody at court, and it effectively shows you who is considered more important, because it's effectively mm. in order of importance. Mm. Um so this shows she's constantly at court and one of the most prominent and important figures because she usually signed after her sons. Mm. So ahead of all of the archbishops, ahead of all of the nobles. And presumably ahead of... I know we were saying that she might have played the role of a consort to her sons and grandsons, but actually, pres- uh, from what we've seen in, so far in Rex Factor, ahead of a consort. Absolutely. The Edmunds wives completely overshadowed by Edgar Fuse. She's mm. much more powerful than they are. She signed something like 20 charters that survive under Edmund, which is about 41% from 940 to 945, and then 30 out of 64 for Edred. Um, But this really does show the opportunities available to a consort after the king has died. Yeah, but this is good for her that she's actually survived longer because she can actually do something. She must have thought, oh, at last. Well, exactly. As historian Pauline Stafford said, the significance of maternity as opposed to marriage in the 10th century 
English Queen's power, well, she notes the significance, a woman was more likely to play a large part in the rule of a son than in that of a husband. She was identified with the fortunes of her male descendants, even in the generation of her grandchildren. Mm. It's brilliant. Against her, mm. her status was quite variable. As we said, no evidence of any real role beyond childbearing under Edward. There's no definitive evidence of what she got up to under Athelstan. We're speculating and reading between the lines, but in terms of what's on the record... Oh, yeah, but it, I can't see any other... I can't see any other way, way round it with this whole Athelstan thing. That's true. But once her sons die and Edwick becomes king, just might be her grandson, all of her lands are removed. Mm. And then although she gets the land back with Edgar, she doesn't really recover the political influence. Mm. So mm. again, Pauline Stafford noted that Edgar Fu's political career, its peaks and vicissitudes, was shaped by dynastic politics. She's an example of the potential power and of the accompanying vulnerability such politics meant for an early medieval queen. Any changes in the status of West Saxon royal wives between the 9th and 11th centuries were not independent of political circumstances. So in other words, for Edgarfu, she achieves this great prominence, but she's not sort of achieved it and managed to put some kind of save in. It's not like in Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? <laughs> There's no milestone yeah, yeah. that she can stick with. Yeah, but but I, and so it's all the more to her credit when she does re- recover it. That's true. Mm. So a battling a score then for Edgarfu. As I said, we don't have actual battling, but in terms of her having influence, standing up for herself, that sort of thing, she does... Well, on the back of your last uh, explanation there, it's very good, I'd say. Yeah, there's no actual drawing of bows, thrashing of swords, but she's fighting her corner, or if it's not her corner, it's her son's, and then her grandson's take it away, and it comes back. It's really good. It's the most battley in the non battley sense that we're defining this <laughs> yes, as. That's true, yeah. Uh, you know, that what's her name was actually battley. Ethelfled. Ethelfled. Hashtag remember Ethelfled. <laughs> Lady of the Mercians. Uh, but this is really good. Hmm. I'm going for a six or a seven. Hmm? I'll go for a seven. Hmm. Oh, no, six, Dunstan. <laughs> <laughs> it's tricky to know because it, this way of judging battleliness is new for us mm. and because it's early on and the previous ones haven't really had anything mm. in a way this is our first test consort yeah, battleliness yeah. score it's not so much resistance i suppose it's a lot of you know fighting our own corner but not necessarily a lot of being fought against which maybe some of the others have maybe some of the others have more life and death circumstances yeah it's tricky isn't it these early ones mm. she navigated that choppy water and actually secured it for her sons and then grandsons mm. and played an active role. I think it was very good. Mm. Sticking mm. with the six? Six. Well, I, th- I think a six is a first goal. In which case, that's a 12 for battleliness. Scandal. Well, this one's going to be a little bit trickier. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could say that, you know, she does conspire against her own grandson, Edwig. Yeah, but he was conspiring against her he was and indeed she's conspiring on behalf of her other grandson yeah. so it's not completely um, if we want to be you know writing a screenplay for a slightly trashy adaptation of this period perhaps we could fill in some of the gaps and think what we're going to do with these characters what if she was secretly Athelstan's lover what Aww. if she was really filling in the role of consort They never mar- he never marries of course maybe because it was a forbidden Marriage. We recall that Ath- Alfred's oldest brother married his stepmother. Were they step? Was it her stepmother? Oh, of course it was. Yeah. 
And Alfred's older brother was older than his stepmother, as Athelstan probably would have been. Older than her? A little bit older, because she was young yeah. when she married Edward. Trying to find a hole in that, and you're persuading me. No, I mean, the hole is that there's literally no evidence <laughs> <it> whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just thinking of something to yeah. say that's scandalous. Realistically, yeah. I'm not sure that it would be fair to give a score for no. me making something up. Nah. It's got to be a zero yeah. for scandal. Subjectivity. Well, in terms of the governance of the country, she seems to be helping out and she's presumably pretty good at it. Yeah. As I said, as Queen Mother, she's clearly high re- highly respected and influential involved in both of her son's reigns over a decade. The charters, as I said, gives us that snapshot as who is considered important and yeah. key advisors at court. And the fact that she's appearing directly after the monarch mm. shows that she is obviously considered one of the Yeah, yeah definitely top people she was as we were saying she was up there almost not co-ruling but the second signatory mm. so anything that happened under that reign she could have a lot she could have a say in it yeah yeah which does feel a bit more like a medieval queen perhaps mm, she is actually does. yeah yeah mm. now the biggie for edgar Fu was his favorite subject of yours monastic reform go on then so we probably want to talk about that in a little bit I'll more detail a few cents and you carry on the reason that the church had entered some dire straits was, of course, all of those Viking raids. Mm-hmm. Um, monasteries being destroyed, uh, damaged, people abandoning them. Alfred denoted a decline in standards of learning mm. and uh, illiteracy amongst monks, mm. which isn't ideal for the people who are writing everything down. No. And there's lots That's of. That's why they did all those pictures. <laughs> <laughs> and there are lots of inconsistencies in how it works. By the 10th century, the political situation is more stable, but there's a sense that standard had slipped because they hadn't been able to really mm. focus on religious affairs when they're just running away from Vikings all the time. There's a lack of discipline in the traditional teaching. We have secular clerks who don't abide by monastic rule. So they're sort of living in religious houses, but actually they have wives. They're sort of businessmen. They're kind of in both worlds. It's not really the strict religious... That image. sounds like... Okay, yeah. Well, it's the way that you'd prefer to live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the abstemious ideal no. of the monkly life. Um, so, this happens in Europe as well, and in Cluny, in Burgundy, there is a move towards reform where they seek a return to this idealised early form of monasticism, mm. a rather more ascetic mm. way of living. Now, it actually starts to grow under Athelstan. So we have Bishop Elphia of Winchester, who's unique for the time in England of being tonsured. Oh, is that unique? Funny haircut. Well, at that time, oh, right. no one else had it because no one's taking things seriously. Oh, enough to God, cut your hair. Right, yeah. And uh, a chap called Oda. But it's really under Edmund and Edred, under the influence of Edgfu, that it properly starts to take off. We don't know exactly how Edgar Fu came to be such a passionate reformer, but she likely would have encountered leading figures through her time as consort. Mm. And particularly if she was prominent under Athelstan, she would have met various people. Her prominence at court under her sons gave her the opportunity to advance the reformist court uh, cause as a national priority mm. and said her wealth and influence, both of those, are pretty important. Uh, Christchurch, Canterbury, 949, she persuaded Edred to grant the site of uh, an ancient monastery of Reculver to uh, the Christ Church. And overall, apparently the cathedral church owed something like half of its total landed endowment to Edgar Fu's various interventions. So she's just giving this her land away? Giving her land or persuading the king to give land to it as well. To what end? Just We'll come to that. We'll come mm. to how it's not just about religion, so you can find okay. <laughs> another outlook. 
Yeah, and as I said, and she plays also this vital role in establishing some of these up-and-coming figures like Ethelwald and, of course, Dunstan, mm. both influencing her sons but also influencing them to play a role at court. She was celebrated in sources as the Famosa Famula Dei, the celebrated handmaid of God. Oh, lovely. So let's have a little bit of a stronger look at some of her oh. patronies. Right. It's time to talk about Dunstan. Yeah. Born in about 909. Are we actually doing a biography of Dunstan here? Mini. Right. Mini. Studied at the then dilapidated Glastonbury Abbey. Came to Athelstan's court as a young man in the service of his uncle, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Ethelhelm. Oh, I smell a whiff of nepotism in the air. But strangely, he wasn't universally liked. Weird. And he was uh, exiled from court, expelled from court by Athelstan, having been accused of black magic. And he was then beaten up and thrown in a cesspool by his enemies. Blooming Athelstan, I knew I knew I liked that man. Now he was persuaded to become a monk by um Elfia the Bold, the Archbishop of Winchester, possibly another relative. Mm. So he's got friends in high places, Dunstan. Yeah. Lived some time as a hermit, which is when he resisted the temptation of the devil by pinning the devil's nose with some tongs. Right. It's not clear exactly how or when he met Edgar Fu, possibly at the royal court under Athelstan, possibly she visited Glastonbury. Mm. Perhaps with his powerful relatives she would just have been recommended to meet him by one of his notable uncles, as somebody that if she was interested in the reformist cause, this is a young chap who's mm. got something about him. You know he's, he's, you know what he reminds me of? Rasputin. You did once uh, call Dunstan the Archbishop of Madness. Did I? Which is quite... Ah. Either way, however they met, she becomes uh, an important patron for Dunstan. So when Edmund, her son, becomes king, Dunstan is summoned to court and becomes a key advisor. Again, strangely, he wasn't universally liked <laughs> and was expelled from court. Again? Yeah. But uh, Edmund narrowly survived a, a hunting accident in Cheddar um, where he almost fell off the edge of a cliff. And apparently whilst he was finding out whether he was going to fall off or not, he said to God that he vowed that if he was spared, he would do right by Dunstan. Weird last thing to go through your mind? Well, it wasn't the last thing to go through his mind because he was spared, and so he did right by Dunstan, recalled him to court, and he became the abbot of Glastonbury. Perhaps that's a rather prosaic explanation, maybe a more realistic one, is that Edgar Fu said, you know this chap that you've just exiled? I think he's got something about him, you should bring him back. Mm. Right, yeah, that sounds more likely. But as I said, he becomes abbot of Glastonbury, implemented new reforms, um, lots of lovely things like the monks eating in common refectory, sleeping in dormitories, and all the married men and women being barred. Fun sponge! But their alliance continues. As I say, they both, of course, suffer under Edwig. Mm. It suggests that they are seen as perhaps a pair. Apparently in Dunstan's biography, he was described as being her specialum amicum. Oh, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> special Maybe. friend. Maybe. Maybe. I think uh, he does complain too much mm. about these married monks. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> now, it's not just Dunstan. There's also Ethelwald as an important chap. He was actually ordained as a monk on the same day as Dunstan by Elphia. Uh, but he doesn't have quite the same connection, so he entered Glastonbury as an ordinary monk. Yeah. But he really is an uber-reformer. He considered Dunstan's reforms at Glastonbury to be insufficiently strict. What did he want? Well, he wanted more. So he asked Edred to let him go off to Europe and study there. Hmm. But Edgarfu thinks, well, this guy is far too good to lose to Europe. So she persuades Edward, uh, Edred to refuse his request. Hmm. And instead, he is granted a monastery of Abingdon. Oxford. Lovely. Hmm. Now, it perhaps doesn't sound quite such a catch when it's related by his biographer, Wolfsound of Winchester. Swayed by his mother... 
Edred decided to give the holy man a place called Abingdon. Here there had been a small monastery, but this had by now become neglected and forlorn. However, the king also gave his royal estate in Abingdon, and he gave them much monetary help from his royal treasury, but his mother sent them presents on an even more lavish scale. Why do they keep doing this? It's all part of a royal project. It's not just about religion. It's about establishing royal authority and unity across England. Because remember, Athelstan has only just basically finished redrawing the borders and creating what we would now call England. Mm. But that's really just, effectively, that's a military success. We've still got lots of different identities. It's a cultural mishmash. We've still got a lot of Viking stuff going on, including religious beliefs. So actually, Edmund and Edred, and then ultimately Edgar as well, they're actually seeking to create basically England as a unified nation, as an institutional a unified. cultural thing. It's a cultural thing. And the religion is a big part of that. It's about royal authority being centralised and the religious stuff as well is helping to bind people. So church, crown together is a classic match through history. Match made in heaven. Ooh. <laughs> but in this case, heaven is a place on earth. <laughs> Ooh, baby. <laughs> Against her. Mm-hmm. We sort of hinted at this in battleiness, but it's an extent to which this is personal rather than institutional power. She's able to achieve great power, but she's not really adding to the office of queenship, particularly. Mm-hmm. It's all just within her. So she actually really overshadows her successors. So it's not actually seeing queenship and consortship elevated to a new level. It's just a kind of a temporary thing for her. So in terms of her legacy is what she leaves as a queen, we don't say, well, there was Edgarfu and now queens are up up, up and away. Oh, it's not... It's almost like there's only room for one queen at a time. Right. So oh, because Ed- she was the grandmother as well. Yeah, grandmother. Yeah. So Edmund's wives get completely overshadowed. Yeah. Part, perhaps that's part of the reason that Edwig fights against her because he decides his wife is going to be prominent. So he takes royal lands away from Edgarfu, gives them to his wife. Or maybe, maybe she's adding to it by being so powerful that these guys are saying, well, I want, I want, I want my one. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And of course, the other thing that we've got that we mentioned for battliness is the lack of direct evidence. She must have been in doing other stuff at court. We just don't know what it was. Yeah. And part of the reason for that is that it's only the religious stuff that's noted down because it's from religious sources. And they've got so all the writing. Exactly. Yeah. So biographies for Ethelwald and Dunstan are effectively written as hagiographies. So this is where we've got them treating Dunstan, treating Ethelwald as these saintly figures. And you kind of get stock characters that have generic roles. Mm. And Edgarfu's role is as a, quote, good woman mm. who helps the saint on their path to glory. Mm. Mm. Well, that's not really telling you much, is it? Not actually telling you much about what she really did. Mm. It's just they're fulfilling a useful part of the narrative. I think we've looked between the lines and found the invisible ink with that whole Athelstan thing. Yeah. I I can't see any other way. And the fact that Dunst and Ethelwald are saying that she's a good woman doing all this stuff is mm. indicative. Presumably they wouldn't have bothered to write that At if all, she wasn't yeah. doing or, it. Or, yeah, or mention anything, yeah. Mm. It's very good. I don't think we've had a good subjectivity like this yet. Mm. Again, but because it's the first one we've got a good subjectivity, how good mm. does it get? There's not so many different examples that I'm mm. really providing here, I suppose, whereas later ones you'd have great works of art, 
you'd have much more political role in intervention and doing lots of other stuff like that. We don't have such detailed evidence that we can actually list lots and lots of things. Okay, well in that case with the with the unknowns, the reading between the lines and the uh fact that it's an early one mm. and there's really it's just quite single stranded a solid five. Hmm. I'm going to be more generous. I'm going to go with six and a half. Okay. Because as I say, I do think that uh, we can read between the lines in terms of their influence. We do have this uh, religious and monastic reform stuff and bringing these important people to court. I mean, she brings us Dunstan, of course. I mean, surely that's worth four. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so six and a half for me. Five. Five from you. So that's 11 and a half for subjectivity. Longevity. Well, as you said earlier, this is effectively the ideal person mm. for the new longevity scoring system. This is why we've got to have all of our different... She is Mrs. Longevity. She is indeed. She is consort from 919, mm. don't know exactly when, to the 17th of July, 924. So we'll call that a nice even... Five. Yeah. She's Queen Mother from the 27th of October, 939, which is the death of Athelstan. To the 23rd of November, 955, which is the death of her second son, Edred. 16? Uh, so 16.33 years as Queen Mother. Mm-hmm. Now, as for the Queen Mother, we halve the number yeah. of years credited. So that becomes 8.17. Right. And then she's Queen... So we're rounding up from 8.165. We are. I see. <laughs> and uh, she is Queen Grandmother from the 23rd of November, 955, to at some point unknown in 966. That's a big one as well. So, again, we'll call that... 11? Yeah, it could be 11, I suppose, if she goes right into the end of the year. So we'll call that 11 years. Mm -hmm. Now, for Time is Queen Grandmother, we do a quarter of the score. Yeah. So that's 11 times Mm 0.25. Hang on. (laughs) Wait. 5.5. 0.75. That sounds about right. So overall, we add all those together. She gets credited for 15.92 years. That doesn't seem enough. Is that right? Well, that's the thing. So she she has 32.33 years in consort service, but because ah. the first bit was only five years, oh, first and it's five. going down each yeah. time, she gets credited for 15.92 which gives her a score of 10 out of 20, which puts her in joint 27th overall. So a fairly middling total in the end. Dynasty, not the program. So she has four children. No, she had two. She has two sons. Yeah. Edmund oh, yeah. And Edred, yeah, yeah. But if we're going to take nothing else from this series, <laughs> it's that girls also count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, I can't believe... Oh, dear. I'm sorry, female people. We haven't mentioned them, in fairness, until Mm. this point. Two sons, Edmund and Edred, who both become king, and two daughters, uh, Edberg of Winchester, who becomes a saint. That's a good career path. And another one who might be called Edgifu, though some historians wonder whether... The same person. The same person. (laughs) It's actually three. But we're going to give her the credit for four, which is a score of 13 out of 20. That's good as well. Joint 17th overall. That gives us a total score for Edgifu of 46.5, which puts her into second place overall, just behind Ethelfled, Lady of the Mercians, with 52.5. But, of course, it's not all about 
the scores. We now have to decide, does she have that certain something, that lasting legacy, that great achievement, that star quality that we call... Rex Factor! Other than Ethelfled, of course, who is sort of a slightly different kettle of fish, Elswith and Elfled. Well, actually, you said yes to Elswith. Did slightly I? bizarrely, yeah. I'm not quite. I think maybe just because she was the first one, and you liked the oh, idea. Oh, we haven't had a Rex Factor winner then, apart from apart from Ethelfled. Edgarfu, there's a case to be made. Yes, the most powerful Wessex consort that we've had so far. Yeah, first ever queen grandmother. Mm. Remember, she's a consort to Edward the Elder, stepmother to Athelstan, mm. queen mother to Edmund and Edred, and queen grandmother to Edwig and Edgar. That's six monarchs that she takes us through. Wow. God, I hadn't thought of that, yeah. And she's a very prominent figure, um, certainly in the reigns of Edmund and Edred, a key point where we're seeing England turning into a nation. Yeah, when you said grandmother, I just automatically presumed it was three kings, but actually there's Mm. brothers in there. And we forget that she was actually the consort as well at mm. the start of all of this. Mm. That's almost like the least important part. Yeah. That's funny, isn't it? And, of course, she brings Dunstan to court. This is a audio <laughs> podcast, but I just <laughs> gave Graham a look. Um, I'm a bit torn. Mm. Because maybe, and it's the fault of the Saxons themselves, there isn't the character to grab onto to give her the Rex Factor. Mm. I just, I feel like she's a nearly. It's tricky, like you said, because there is this lack of evidence, because we're doing a lot of reading between the lines. Do we have to do that too much for her to have the Rex Factor? Is it possible to have the Rex Factor without actually jumping off the page because you're Mm. kind of hidden between the pages? Mm. But equally, when we think of the Wessex attitudes to queens, how little we have to say about previous ones, Mm. and... As I said, it's not going to be the case that next week we're... Well, actually, we'll be doing a different thing next week, but the next consort, not that there's this rise and rise and rise of more and more information. There's actually... It's peaks and troughs, Mm. and this is a peak. And it's the first peak, really, in terms of the Wessex consorts. Yeah. We were spoilt with Edgifu, um, with um, Ethelfled. But she's a survivor. Yeah, I'm persuading myself. She was a survivor, and her battliness was actually what we're looking for in this. Mm. She, she, yeah, she defined uh, consorty battliness, not necessarily while she was a consort, <laughs> <Yes>. but <laughs> in the period after as a mother and grandmother. Mm. And by golly, did she have influence. Yeah. And it's not her fault that we. We we're not told whether she liked spaghetti hoops. You Why know, you? although I tried them again recently because mm. of Rue. Bit bland. Mm. And you know their um, pasta. Yeah. Yeah. Spaghetti hoops. Yeah. Well, this was brand new to me because <laughs> I always put them in the same category as baked beans. I just thought they're like fancy baked beans in an orangey tomato sauce. Yeah, and mm. I ate them. I was like. This really overcooked pasta. So if only I could have her opinion on spaghetti hoops or baked beans. It's not her fault. No. So I am going to give her the Rex Factor. Oh, I didn't think you would. Yeah, no, I was I was split, but I think it's the right thing to do. I am also going to say yes for Edgar Fu. 
I think she's definitely one of those ones where when we get to the end of the series and there are people with more to say about them, mm. I think she'll struggle a bit. Yeah. But I still think she's such an incredibly influential figure at such a key period in English history mm. and in that formation, as I said, of the sort of England as a country, which is only just happening. Yeah. I think she's actually probably more influential than the sources will give her credit for. Or probably more influential than some of her grandchildren. Well, exactly. I think the kings are so short-lived. Yeah. It's really because of these long-lived figures, like Dunstan, also Ethelwald and others, but Edgarthur as well. She's one of these key people that provides continuity and stability mm. so that it's not just chop and change and disaster you never get going, but actually... There's a continuity of government. Yeah, so the Vikings don't spot a weakness, don't spot a gap and come back. So that is a yes. Edgar Fu has the Rex Factor. She has joined Ethelflaed Lady the Mercians. And is maybe giving her a little bit of a glance and saying, Look, do you really, really believe, think that you count in this? I think, I think <laughs> yeah. I'm the proper concept here. <laughs> you know. yeah. Correspondence Corner. Let us know what you think and whether Edgar Fu deserves the Rex Factor or not. Get in touch on social media. We are at Rex Factor Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Like the Facebook page. Email RexFactorPodcast at Hotmail.com and go on to RexFactor.wordpress.com, read the blogs and complete the polls to say who you think does and doesn't deserve it. And of course, remember to send in your hashtag consort cards for this episode. Provide us an image of Edgar Fu. That could really help when we get to the playoffs. We've got something to visualise. certainly will. I mean, I... I, I'm really interested to see what people come up with this one. Mm. If you'd like to support the podcast, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever other podcasting service you mm-hmm. use. Is that and what it's called these days? It is indeed. Right. And subscribe. Um, if you would like to support us financially, you can donate monthly, join the Privy Council and get bonus content. All of our Privy Councillors access the Privy Chamber podcast, which we record after each of these main episodes. We're going to do it in just a minute. And we've got some new Privy Councillors to welcome. Oh, Marcus Royce Fulton. Oh, yeah, I'm chatting with him on Facebook. Nice chap. Duncan Tilly. Hello. Mikey Barnes. Kenneth Jones. Daniel Charlton. Catherine Mary Woolgrove. Julia Basie. Sarah Charlie. C. Golopsk. Simon Ockwell. The Lady K. Queen Laura. Krista Sorensen. And Lindsay Hannah. Thank you. So much. Honestly, it does mean that we can carry on doing this and eventually maybe do it even more. Ooh. A message from one of our new Privity Councillors. Mm. Well, no, probably new a while ago. Anna Fetty. Mm-hmm. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for the welcome. I sent her an email. I'm so very glad I found your podcast. I'm a postal carrier. A horribly boring job sometimes, but it's wonderful in that I get to listen to Rex Factor for five or six hours every day. Thank you for the time and effort you put into making my days so much more fun. Oh, and Graham, just in case you do decide to read this message on the show, (laughs) I wanted to work in Dunstan for Ali's benefit. Oh, thanks very much. (laughs) (laughs) We've not had enough of him this week. (laughs) Oh, that's very good. I didn't know where that was going. We will, of course, have plenty more Dunstan to come as the series progresses. Very good. Now, next time, we're actually going to be doing a uh, a free to where everyone get access to this special episode on Game of Thrones. Finally, we were going to do it last series, weren't we? So we're going to be releasing that, I think, ahead of the penultimate episode in this series. How many episodes are there? Six. Oh, what? In Game of Thrones, not in Rex Factor. But yeah, so we're going to be looking at... 
Game of Thrones and comparing some of the characters and the scenarios to real life history and some of the things that might have inspired it. Okay. If you're not a fan of Game of Thrones, then fear not, because the week after we will be back with the consorts and we will be doing the first of Edmund's wives, Elf Gifu of Shaftesbury. Lovely. What a name. See you next time. Cheerio.